Anyway, welcome to downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, let me just get this ready here. If it is your first time, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. And um, I'm excited because today we're kicking off a brand new series Adam was talking about. It's called Run. And I'm excited about this series for a number of reasons. The first being that we are going to be landing on an issue that I believe at its core plagues each and every one of us. Some of us more than others, but I think at its core, the issue we're going to be talking about is something every single one of us at some level, at some point in our life, will be struggling with. The other reason I'm excited is because we are going to be talking our way through a book in the Bible that we have spent no time in at all in the almost four years of our existence. We haven't referenced it, mentioned it, we haven't talked about the characters, nothing. So as far as Downtown Harbor Church is considered, this is all brand new material. So to kick this whole thing off, I just want to gauge the temperature in the room to kind of see who I'm dealing with here. Let me me ask you a question. And you can raise your hand if you're a hand raiser. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But let me just ask you this question. How many of you considered running away as kids. All right, we got one. Oh, pretty much everybody. There we go. I knew it. Here's the deal. This is part of childhood. You either ran away or you thought about running away. And in my research this week, it turns out that this contemplating running away is actually a stage of development for many kids. And, and, and generally speaking, I don't know about your situation, but generally speaking, your parents had asked you to clean your room many, many times, and you've now decided they are a tyrant, and you can't live under that brutal regime, so you are out. That's it. You're done. I can't take it anymore. I'm sick, and I've had enough. And what happens is you begin to pack your bags. Now, I don't know where this started, this, this idea of how we pack our bags as kids. I don't know if it's in our DNA or part of our genetic makeup, but somewhere along the way, kids, when they pack their bags, turn into hobos from like 1925, okay? It's the old hobo stick. That's what it's called. I don't know where we've learned this from. Maybe it's a movie or a cartoon, but this is what we all did. You know it. This is what I did, at least. I didn't go anywhere, but this is what we did. You go and you try to find a bandana. Of course, you can't find a bandana. Who is a bandana? So you go to the guest bathroom. You take one of mom's towels. You put your stuff in it, and away you go, and you're ready to go. Now, full disclosure, because we're friends here. I never ran away. Okay, there was one time that I dramatically ran out of the house and hid for two hours. And I've told this story. My parents let me know that come fall, I was going to start taking piano lessons. I couldn't handle that, so I ran away for two hours. And I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking about the seven years that would ensue after, oh gosh, those war crimes against me when my parents made me take And I really should have run away because it would have saved all of us a lot of heartache and stress. But If you think back to when you were a kid and when you were contemplating running away, the only thing on your mind was getting away. That that was it. You were mad. You, You couldn't take it anymore. You hit your limit. That's it. I'm gone. But it doesn't really dawn on you until you've now left the house that you have put absolutely no thought into where you are running away to. That's it. It's just, it's just the away, nothing about the two. This is why most kids end up just hanging out at the bottom of their street for a couple of hours. We, we just, we've, we've put no thought into it because it's all about the away and not about the two. And I just think, you look at this and you begin to reflect on this idea, and it lets us know that even at the earliest stages, humans sometimes just do things without fully thinking them through. We get mad where we feel the pressure, and we just react. 
without thinking about what are the consequences of what I'm about to do. Now, let me ask a follow-up question. And for this one, I don't want you to raise your hand at all, okay? And no nudging of the elbows to whoever you're sitting with. How many of you have ever tried to run away from God? Now, for this, it's less about packing your bags and it's more about a mindset. And it, and it looks different for everybody, but somewhere along the way, it looks kind of like, well, I know what the wise thing to do is, but I'm going to choose otherwise. And I know what I should do. I know what God says about my current situation, but I don't care. And maybe for you, maybe for you, you decided that you were going to let's put it this way, lower the, con- lower the volume, so to speak, on your conscience. So you said, I'm going to tell myself that there is no God. That's it. There's no God. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe in God. But you and I both know that in your heart of hearts, when you're by yourself with your head on that pillow, and you know that God still exists. Or maybe for you, maybe for you in your situation, you decided that you were going to adjust your theology. This one is very popular with American runners. And this is this idea that you believe the Bible and you know that the scripture contains God's wisdom, but you're looking to get involved in some stuff. You're looking to get involved in some behaviors or activities or some lifestyle, and the scripture says that you shouldn't do those things, so you're just going to tweak your theology just a little bit so that you can do whatever you want to do. Or maybe you're somebody that would say about yourself that you turn your back on God. Now, this one we hear at Downtown Harbor Church almost every week, particularly because we are, have become a refuge, so to speak, for folks who've had a bad experience with church. And somewhere in your lifetime, you got burned by a local church, or you got burned by a group of Christians, and you just walked away. And I absolutely get that. And lastly, and I don't need to belabor the point because I think you see where we're going with this. Maybe, maybe you never turn your back on God, but for you, it's just about that one issue. Now, you believe in God. You believe in the Bible. You are a Christian. You go to church. But for you, it's all about God. Keep your hands off that one issue. And you still pray very actively, but when you think about your prayers, they're actually very guarded prayers. And it's kind of like, well, Lord... I need your help in my life right now with, with this issue. And if you would just, hey, hey, whoa, 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 don't look over here. Do not, eyes over here, eyes over here. Don't look at the rest of this. Just keep your eyes on this part of my life. See, no matter where you find yourself on this spectrum, and there are many, many other things that we could talk about, whatever the case may be, I firmly believe that every single one of us is a runner. Now, Christina our worship leader, she and I were talking about it this week, and she goes, I don't think you should say everyone. I think you should say many of us are runners. Mm, no, I want to say everyone, okay? Because this is such an important topic. This is so serious. And I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that every single one of us, at some level, with some issue, at some point in our life, will run from God. And so for the next three weeks, because it's just a short three-week series, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this concept of what it looks like to run from God and to facilitate this discussion. We're going to take a look at a guy in the Bible who is the epitome of a runner. And what's so great about this story that we're going to focus on is that the 
biggest, most famous part of this story is, how do I put this? Really hard to believe. It's the, kind of, it's the kind of part of the story that if you've grown up in church, if you're a seasoned Christian, if you were raised in the church, you hear this story and you go, yeah, I believe it, 100% true, no questions asked. Maybe you're a person and, and, you, and you've been in church for quite some time, but you get to this part of the story and you're kind of like, well, I don't know if that actually happened, but I don't want to think about it too much, let's just keep, let's just keep going. Or maybe you're somebody that would get to this part of the story and you go, mm, fairy tale, didn't happen. You don't actually, come on, you don't actually want me to believe this story, do you? So for the next three weeks, we are going to be walking our way through the very famous story of Jonah and the whale. Now, I chose this children's graphic because Jonah and the whale falls into the category of what I like to call the Sunday School Hall of Fame. This is one of those stories that we love to teach children. It's got some great truth, and quite frankly, it's just a very good story. It's very well written. And I believe that even as seasoned Christians in the room, those of us who have perhaps have been Christians our entire life, I think that when we hear Jonah in the whale, we view it through this lens. We view it almost as a children's story. Now, I know that we have some folks in the room who are brand new Christians, may not be Christians. You might not know this story at all. So let me just give you a quick spoiler to catch you up. In the story of Jonah and the whale, there comes a point in this man's life where he gets swallowed whole by a whale. And he is alive inside the whale for three days and three nights. And I get it. That's like a, a tough pill to swallow. No pun intended. Okay? But... We have to, as a church, at least as Downtown Harbor Church, be willing to embrace the tension that there are going to be things inside of Scripture that smack up against reality. That we're going to read some things inside the Bible that are going to make us pause and go, ah, did that actually happen? And that's okay to have that conversation. And because this part of the story is such a massive part, I just want to take a couple of minutes to help us understand how do we begin to think our way through this story with this kind of an element that so many of us struggle with? So theologically, there are essentially three schools of thought as to how to understand the story of Jonah and the whale. There are those that will say it's historic. There are those that will say it's a parable. And there are those that say it's an allegory. So those who say it's historic will say, no, this is a historic account. This is a narrative of a man named Jonah. And everything we read took place 100%. There are those theologians who say, um, not exactly. It's probably a parable. And if you've been at this church any length of time, you know that Jesus, his favorite way of teaching was to use a parable, which is a fictional story that he would create to tell a real truth. And lastly, there are theologians who say, no, it's actually an allegory. And for our intents and purposes, an allegory is just a longer parable where a parable might have one teaching point, an allegory, basically every aspect and every character has a point that we can learn from. So if you've grown up in the church, if you hear Jonah and the whale and you 100% believe it, no questions asked, you might, you might say it's historic. For those of you in the room who struggle with it, who might hold your nose and go past it, who, say, or who look at it and go, nope, don't believe it at all, you might say it's a parable or it's an allegory. Based on my research, you're all correct. And that's not me being some wishy-washy politician who doesn't want to come down on one stance or the other. That is me recognizing the power of the Holy Spirit within the Scriptures. 
Because here's what we know. We know Jonah was a real historical figure. We know that. It is documented. We know that Nineveh, the city that is the uh, epicenter of this story, is a real city that was in the country of Assyria. And we know that Jesus himself references the story of Jonah. And so it is a historical account. And yet, two big words, and yet. Because Jonah was a prophet, and because we know that prophets throughout the Old Testament would use patterns and would use allegory to further explain to people the message that God had given them, we know it is possible that this story could have some allegoric nature to it. So, all that to say this. Did Jonah actually get swallowed by a whale? Did God perhaps maybe inspire Jonah to create this section of the Scripture? We will never know this side of heaven, but here's the good news. It doesn't really matter. Because whether it actually happened or whether Jonah just wrote it that way, either way, we learn the same thing. We learn something about ourselves, and we learn something about God. So with that being said, let me just teach you a little bit about Jonah. Jonah was alive somewhere around the year 700 B.C., so that is 700 years before Jesus was born. We don't have exact dates, but based on the events that he's talking about, we know it takes place probably in the mid-8th century B.C. And Jonah, like I said, was a prophet. And prophets had a very difficult job. So God would use prophets to deliver his message to a specific people group. Generally speaking, throughout the Old Testament, prophets would bring messages to the Jews, to their fellow Jews. And, and, and these messages really were not the kind of messages that you would want to receive, okay? They're not very popular messages, okay? A, a prophet wouldn't walk into your town and say, hey, everybody, up here, I uh, just got off with God. Good news. He is thrilled with what is going on here. Just, he said, you're doing a bang-up job. Sales numbers are looking really good. You're just really, he, he can't say enough good things about you. And so I'm here just to let you know that you're getting a 5% raise across the board, every single one of you, okay? Not the message that prophets usually bring, okay? Generally speaking, throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people had been messing up for quite some time. And God had sort of not really, I mean, he knew what was going on, but he kind of let their behavior go to sort of see if they would correct it. Generally speaking, they did not. So he would call in the Navy SEALs. He would get the prophets. Sends them in. And he goes, all right, guys, I, I just heard from God. He says, you need to clean up your act or else. And generally speaking, you didn't want to wait around to find out what the or else was because it was never a good thing. But Jonah's job when you look at the other prophets, Jonah's job was particularly difficult because God didn't send him to go speak to his fellow Jews. Rather, God sent Jonah to the city of Nineveh to deliver a message to the people group called the Ninevites who were a completely different culture, who worshipped a completely different God. And now God is saying to Jonah, hey, I want you to go there. I want you to tell the Ninevites to say, hey, God, you know, the one that you don't worship and the one you don't know exists, that one is not happy with you. And he wants you to repent and change your ways. Can you imagine the looks that Jonah would get if he were to deliver this message? And so this wasn't going to be straightforward for him. This wasn't going to be easy as if he could just go to his fellow Hebrews. And so he hears God's request and he's like, uh, you know what, let's skip the warning and just nuke him. Okay, my words, not his. He, he looks at God and he's like, 
why are you even giving them a, a second chance? See, what you don't know is that the Ninevites were a constant threat to the Jews. They would attack, they would kill, and Jonah's like, I don't, I don't get it. Why are you trying to help them, God? Let's just end it right now. Now, there's also probably something else in the back of Jonah's mind that may have been preventing him from wanting to go to the Ninevites. I don't know for sure. But what you may not know is that the Ninevites skin people alive. Yeah, Jonah knew this, though. Um, and generally speaking, you don't want to go to those kind of people. Recently, archaeologists have uncovered ancient Assyrian manuscripts, governmental documents that was, that was detailing that the Ninevites would skin people alive oh, and keep them alive afterwards, impale their enemies, and burn children and babies alive. This was their own government documenting this. And I don't know, but I have to imagine that Jonah knows this. I have to imagine that Jonah has seen this take place or at least heard the stories, and now he's like, wait, 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 God. You want to send me there? And we read in the scripture, Jonah says, no, that's going to be a no from me, dog, okay? Little do you know, Randy, Randy Jackson all these years was quoting scripture, okay? He's like, God, I love you, okay? I still believe in you, but that's going to be a hard pass, okay? No, I'm not going to do that. And the Bible says that Jonah ran from God. Take a look at the story for yourself. It says this. The, sto- um, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Basically, he's like, I've had enough. You, you got to go. You got to go tell them what I need you to say. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. So he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on the boat, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. That's a very difficult word to say. So I want to show you just geographically what Jonah did here, because when Jonah decided to run, my man really decided to run. Here's a map of the area. So Israel is right about here, and God says, I need you to go essentially 500 miles to Nineveh, And so instead, he goes 50 miles south to Joppa, gets on a boat, and travels 2,500 miles in the very opposite direction. He gets on a boat and goes at this time for these people, for commercial sailing boats, to the end of the world, the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. And I was looking at this map this week, and isn't it true that this is part of your story too? Because at some point in your life, God said, hey, I need you to go in this direction, and you said, yeah, I'm actually going to go that way. Or God spoke into your life and said, I, I don't want you to get involved with this woman or this man. And you said, that's actually exactly who I'm going to get involved with. Or, or he said, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. And you go, oh, that's great. No, that's literally exactly what I'm going to do right now and here in this moment. Here's what we learned from this map. When people run from God, it shows us that people run in the strangest of ways, to the strangest of places. Jonah decides, you know what, to get away from the creator of the universe, I'm going to get on a boat, I'm going to get on the dangerous water, and I'm going to spend the longest amount of time possible to get away from this guy. Make any sense? Some of us kind of do the same thing. 
We, we, we run from God and we say, you know what, I'm going to get involved in some just really toxic relationships. Or you know what, to protest God, I'm going to start dabbling in drugs. Or just start and get involved with alcohol at a greater level maybe. Or you know what, I'm just going to start getting involved in some business dealings that I never would have before. But you know what, I'm so angry at God right now, I want to protest him so much, I'm just going to do this. And it doesn't make any sense. And your friends are watching and they're going, oh, if I was going to protest the God of the universe, I'm not sure I'd be doing such dangerous, stupid stuff. Why do we do this? Because you know we do. Why do we do this? I think it's because when we run from God, we run from the source of wisdom and truth. What you're doing is you're disconnecting from the source of wisdom and truth. And when you do that, you start to make unwise decisions. You start making unwise decisions based on things that aren't true and don't necessarily fulfill at all. Additionally, when you run from God, I believe that we run from the source of wisdom and truth in our relationships. So you start messing up, start doing dumb things, making unwise decisions. All of a sudden, who shows up? Prophets start showing up in your life. Your parents start calling you more. Your friends are saying, hey, can we get some coffee? Because I just feel like we have to have a conversation. I just, I, I feel like we should talk, but we don't want to hear that. And we reject those people. And we reject those prophets in our life because we don't want to hear that truth. We don't want them shedding any kind of light on the situation that we now have created. And so we disconnect. And we also disconnect from places that we used to go to. Maybe you disconnect from church. You stop going to church because you don't want to hear any of that noise right now in your life. And Jonah did the same thing. Jonah disconnected. Jonah didn't want to hear it, so Jonah came up with a plan. And his plan was to run. And I love what the scripture says immediately after Jonah comes up with his plan. It says this, but the Lord, okay, here's the deal. Nickel's worth of free advice, all right? If you ever come up with some genius plan and all of a sudden you hear, but the Lord, guess what? Your plan is not going to work, okay? It's not going to work. Here's what it says. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea. Remember, Jonah's now on the boat causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart, continues. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten their ship. It continues. But all this time, Jonah was asleep in the hole. So picture this, okay? Crew is up on deck, running around with the hair on fire. They're throwing barrels over. They're throwing cargo over. And our man is downstairs taking a nap, Okay? Captain finds out about this. He finds out Jonah's sleeping. He goes down to Jonah. It says this. So the captain went down after him and goes, wakes him up. Hey, how can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Essentially, in other words, he's looking at Jonah and he goes, isn't it obvious that of all the things that you should be doing right now, sleeping is not one of them? Isn't it obvious that we're in trouble? Isn't it obvious that we might sink? Isn't it obvious that we all might die? Isn't it obvious, my man? And in this moment, in the whole of that ship, Jonah realizes something that we see all the time in runners. And it's this. Runners are often the last to make the connection. Meaning, runners are often the last people in the world 
to see the connection between their decision to run from God and the chaos that is now surrounding their life. Now, here's the thing. As outsiders, as their friends, as their family, maybe even as their children, we look at their life and we look at their decision to run from God in some area or in some aspect. We see all the chaos that has ensued since that decision. And to us, it's so obvious. But a runner can't see it. And that's true of all of us. I mean, when you're in the midst of it, it's very difficult to see the chaos and how this all started in our own life. And I could just tell you, from from so many counseling appointments that I've had, from so many coffee appointments, I'll have a conversation with somebody, and I go, let me see if I understand the facts of what we're just saying here. So you're telling me, that you decided to do this. And then your marriage fell apart, and they go, yeah, it's so weird, right? It's not weird. It's so obvious what happened here. I don't know how you can't see it, but runners in the midst of the storm can't put two and two together. And so this interesting conversation takes place in this boat now. You got the crew, you got the captain, and you got Jonah. And they're talking about the fact that now they've figured out that Jonah's to blame. This whole storm is happening because of Jonah. And so they're grilling him. And they're going, who are you? Where are you from? What is the deal here? And Jonah answered, well, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the, oh, he's like, oh, yeah, there we go. He's like, that was, you know what? He's like, in my effort to run from the God who made the sea and I got in the sea, that was probably not a smart idea. Rookie mistake, my fault. Okay? I, should, I didn't think that through. Sailors, says, were terrified when they heard this. For he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. So I was reading this. In fact, it says he already told them. And I was like, how did this conversation play out? I mean, did he buy the ticket and the captain's like nature of the trip? Well, uh, I'm just taking a couple of weeks. I'm just, you know, running from the creator of the universe. Uh, on our ship? Yeah. Okay. There you go. Here's your ticket. You know, second door on the right kind of a thing. The guys hear this and they go, oh, why did you do it? They groaned, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, well, what should we do to you to stop the storm? And Jonah says this, throw me into the sea, and uh, it will become calm again. I know, for the first time, he gets it. He understands. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Now, here's the interesting part of the story now. The crew hears this. And they say, you know what, that's too extreme. We can't, we can't throw you over. They go, you know what, guys, get on the oars. Let's just row harder. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to the land. We'll be fine. And so the harder they rowed, the worse the storm gets. And Scripture says, eventually, they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. They finally realize that they're going to have to sacrifice the one for the many. The story continues. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And I love the fact that it says, at once. Now, we are free to imagine what this scene looked like. But it says that it stopped at once. So they threw him overboard. He hit that water. 
And like that, calm. Like that, the wind stopped. Did the clouds open up? I don't know, but here's the thing. As soon as he hit that water and as soon as the storm stopped, he didn't sink to the bottom of the ocean. That guy was straight up floating next to the boat, okay? And you've got to imagine that at this point, they're kind of looking at each other like, whoa, do we bring him back on? <laughs> and all the while, he is just now getting taken by the current and they're just awkwardly staring at each other like this is, well, this is something, okay? And then all of a sudden we read this. Now the Lord had arranged what I believe to be the most important and telling verse in the entire story up until this point. Because here's the deal. As a runner, okay, you may run in the strangest of ways to the strangest of places. You may be the last one to put the connection between your decision to run from God and, and the chaos that has now ensued. But because of what we're about to read, it's something so... Here's the deal. When you run from God... He doesn't abandon you. Take a look at what happens here. It says this, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish, that's the whale, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So let's pause and talk about the offending verse, so to speak. Let me give you a quick history lesson. All throughout the Old Testament, for thousands of of years, who knows how long it actually was, God would consistently, over and over and over again, orchestrate events that would create a pattern. And the reason God loved to create patterns throughout the Old Testament is because he knows humans, and he knows that the human eye and the human brain responds very well to patterns. We're quick to pick them up. So, you're smart people. That's why you come to this church. Let me ask you a question. In Scripture, where else do you see someone who spent three days and three nights buried, so to speak? Just yell it out if you know the name. There you go. Jesus. See, you guys pay attention. In the past, all throughout the Old Testament, God orchestrated events and orchestrated patterns for one particular reason, to point the Jewish people to Jesus. So that as they read these Old Testament accounts, as they lived through these events, they would be, there would be seeds planted in their minds. God would be working in their minds so that one day when they saw Jesus, all of a sudden, all these things that they had seen in the past would help them further understand what they were saying. So, I can guarantee you that God either sent this whale or inspired Jonah to write it in this way to create a pattern, getting the people, the audience who would read this, preparing them for the idea that there would one day be a person who could conquer the grave, who could come back from a situation where you thought that nobody could come back from, just a seed planted. And Jonah perhaps never had any clue that this was going on behind the scenes. Scripture continues, then... Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. Yeah, I bet he did. And inside that whale, whatever that looked like, he recognized something that all runners eventually realize. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. And when you first hear this, it sounds ominous. 
sounds scary. It sounds like God is chasing after you to get you. But the reality is that this should actually bring tremendous comfort to the runner and to all of us. Because in this story, in this account, we see that God specifically prepared a whale for Jonah. But for those of us on the run, he's prepared something else. And here's why. God views you as his child. We have been invited to think about God as our heavenly father. Jesus said the best way for you to understand who God is is to think of him as your father. Now, let me just say something. Some of you hear this, this idea of thinking about God as your father, and you recoil because you may not have had a good relationship with your dad. And your dad wasn't a good role model for you. And the idea of now picturing God as your father, that doesn't work. Let me just say something. God is not like your father. For those of us in the room who have been blessed to have a tremendous relationship with our earthly fathers, let me tell you something. God is not like your father either because your father is still a human. If you want to know what God the Father is like, all you have to do is look at the life of Jesus because Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do. So, as a father would, or as a parent would, discipline the children that they love. Scripture says that God disciplines us similarly. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, said this in Proverbs. My son, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And as Jonah is going to discover next week, that's where we're going to pick up the story, he learns that God chased him down, not to pay him back, but to win him back. That God chased him down not to punish him, because that's how we often read this, but to win him back, because he loves Jonah. And he loves you, no matter how far you've run from him. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week as we kind of contemplate the first part of this story, I want to give you a question and, and I want to challenge you to really I try to answer it. And for some of you, you're really going to have to let your guard down to do it. Here's the deal. Are you on the run? You saw the list that we talked about in the beginning of the message, the various ways that this might look in, in your life. Did you see yourself at all in that list? Because for those of us who say that we've turned our back on God, when we make no bones about that, this is an easy question for us to answer. It's very obvious that we are on the run. But do you know who's going to have the most difficult time in the room answering this question? Lifelong Christians. Because we talk a good talk, and we walk a good walk, but you and I both know that in every single one of our lives, there is a little room 
in all of our houses that we have not given God access to. We've locked that door. We've deadbolted that door. We've painted camouflage over that door because we just don't want him in there. We don't want him messing around in there. And we don't want him to even see it. But if we've learned anything from this story today, he knows it's there. And he already knows what's in there. If we've learned anything from the life of Jonah up until this point, God is not going to let you be comfortable until you let him in to every room in your house. Because he loves you too much to let you live that way. So this week, as you think about Jonah and what has happened up until this point in his life, remember that no matter how far we've run from him, God's love never changes. So you may have run away. You may have, in a fit of rage, said that you don't believe in him anymore, but he still loves you. And here's the deal. He's not looking to punish you. In fact, he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take the punishment on your behalf. From here on forward... He's just trying to win you back. So will you let him? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today. Lord, that this account has been preserved for so many thousands of years, Lord, and the issues at hand are so relevant, even in 2019. Because I firmly believe that every single one of us, at some level, in some way, in some aspect of our life, is running from you. That some of us, Lord, have straight up walked away. But many of us are just dealing with a submission issue. That we know that you know what's best for us, Lord, but we are just not willing to give you complete control over our life. Even though you want what's best for us. Lord, this week I pray that you would help us try to answer this question. Lord, for those of us who are actively on the run, Lord, it is, it is clear that it's difficult for us to put the connection together, to see our decision to walk away from you and to see the ensuing chaos as part of it, Lord, but I pray now that you would illuminate our eyes. Lord, you sent your son Jesus to win us back. Help us, Lord, to lean on him. Help us, Lord, to say yes to him. And we place all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.